Ladies and gentlemen, Crystal Clear Industries, in association with Rhinestone Radio Podcasts, is proud to present Old Hollywood Realness. Brought to you in vibrant podcastoscope for your listening pleasure. Join your hosts Kathleen Null and Philip Estrada as they recap Hollywood's dazzling darlings one film at a time. And now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. <laughs> you always say welcome back, Rave. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I, uh, I I pushed a button on this computer. I don't know what happened or if it did anything bad. I hope it's okay. I hope it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We're good. We're recording. We're good. Okay. Beep well, boop. Okay. Beep boop. <laughs> Welcome back to Old Hollywood Realness. <laughs> this is the podcast that celebrates and explores history's golden era, Hollywood's golden era. Um, I'm Philip Estrada. I'm Kathleen Null. And, um, professionals. I know. We are professionals. One thousand percent. I don't know if you know this. I went to college for podcasting. Oh, <laughs> I got my man. BFA in podcasting. So, yeah. Well, that's a BFD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, You're um, like, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> I'm huge in Japan. Um, Do you know how many followers I have? I have like tens of followers, you guys. <laughs> I'm not saying you need to cop my meal, but uh, look at all the followers I have. Don't you know who my father is? <laughs> oh, goodness, everybody. I am punchy tonight. Me too. It's late. I am tired. I am under the weather. <laughs> hmm. I'm feeling it, girl. But do we have a movie to talk about today? Yes. So um, we are talking about the film Lady of Burlesque from 1943. Woo-hoo! A United Artists Pictures um, directed by William Wellman. Um, and the costumes are designed by... Um, there. We got two costume designers actually credited in this film. Mm-hmm. We have Edith Head is... Um, com- um, is credited as doing all of Barbara Stanwyck's gowns and the rest of the um, costumes are designed by Natalie Vizart. Um, Mm -hmm. We have Barbara Stanwyck playing Dixie Daisy, Michael O'Shea as Biff Brannigan, um, J. Edward Bromberg as S.B. Foss, who's running the um, theater. Um, Iris Adrian is Gigi Graham. Gloria Dixon as Dolly Baxter. We got um, Victoria Faust as Lolita Laverne. Um, Stephanie Baxter as the Princess Navina. Um, <laughs> Marion Martin plays Alice Angel, who was one of my favorite characters. Love her. Uh, oh my god, me too. And Pinky Lee makes um, his uh, he makes an appearance as Mandy, and then we got a bunch of other people as well um, that kind of play. There's a huge, pretty huge cast, honestly, of this with all a the performers. A bunch of nobodies. <laughs> no I'm kidding. <laughs> Not anybody like hardworking character actors. Probably were yes. in like a hundred films by the time. Exactly. <laughs> These are the ones that are probably doing the heavy lifting in Hollywood. Um, yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Kathleen, what's your history with this film? Um, not too much. Uh, the, I I kind of was doing a little bit of light research on this film um, way back when we had done our uh, Gypsy episode with the lovely and talented Tansy. Thank you again oh. for being on our podcast. But Shout I remember at the time, I was, hey. 
<laughs> but I remember kind of uh, reading about this and reading about uh, the book that this was based on because I was kind of doing a Gypsy Rose Lee deep dive. And mm-hmm. um, so that was uh, so that's how I knew about this. Uh, movie and it was on our radar and I wanted to watch it and it was on Amazon Prime and then it wasn't and now it is so oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of my history and I'm I'm really glad that you picked it for um you picked this for our first movie at the gate for 2020 because it was delightful and I've been meaning to watch this for a while so yes. thank you that's yes. my, what's your history with this movie? Um, not a huge history with it, honestly. I think I watched it maybe uh, two summers ago when I was just kind of mm-hmm. scrolling through Amazon Prime and you're right, this was one of these yeah. those movies that were up on Amazon Prime because Am- Amazon, are, you know, Lord Bezos has um, his fingers on the pulse of what's happening and anything he can get for free and cheap he puts on there. So this is... Well, because he's, <laughs> it's not exactly like he's busy paying federal taxes. I'm just yeah, yeah. Just that's a whole different okay. Okay, not um, all right, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. But that's but you know, I mean, his anyway. We could go into a whole thing about that. Anyway, he's um, a cult, but not a religion. <laughs> yeah. So um, they have like a lot of really strange movies on um, Amazon Prime. If you really do the deep diving mm-hmm. on there, a lot of like yeah. B movies, C movies, random things that kind of maybe were popular at, during the day, but just kind of haven't stood the test of time as far as the in the, the you know the Hollywood zeitgeist as it is also this movie yeah. they um, failed to renew the copyright so it fell into the public domain so mm-hmm. this has kind of been um, is pretty much everywhere for free uh, so and I watched it and I was just like this is an odd little film but also kind of entertaining it's like you know it's a whodunit yeah. it's a convoluted whodunit too because you can't it's hard to really like I was writing my synopsis today and just being like wait what <laughs> like I know yeah. I know the results of it but there's a lot of like it's twists and turns and you know who this guy did that and he did this and you're just like I don't really remember know what's happening but it it's cute it's an adorable movie yeah no it's it's really cute i think uh reading about the fact that this was so subjected to the Hayes code makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. because it yes. sounds like a lot of the disjointedness comes from the fact that they were like, uh, 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 no, 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 you can't do that. You can't honestly, do that. So they just, honestly, you know, I was, I'm okay. shocked that this movie even made it through the Hayes code because right? of the fact that, the fact that it was originally, Oh, I got to give a shout out to this one actually was one of the movies that was re- recommended to us by a listener on iTunes, in an iTunes review actually by someone hey. who goes by the handle Stanwick Stan. So, this person was saying that they wanted nice. any bit Barbara Stanwyck um, movies played and they um, you know this is one of the, a list of like four or five films that um, oh, you, we should be doing I so, love me some Barbara Stanwyck she's such a sassy broad she is she is a sassy broad and I loved her in this movie she was she was loved amazing her. so um, yeah back to what we were saying about the Hayes Code so this movie was based on the book G-String Murders which you were mentioning by Gypsy Rose Lee mm-hmm. um, and according to IMDb DB um, in um, October 15th in 1941 news item in the Hollywood Reporter per, um, stated that producer David O. Selznick the David O. Selznick had um, <laughs> taken out an option on Lee's novel for $1,000 against a $25,000 purchase price that he was to te- and he was going to test Lee for the starring role in the film um, other Hollywood Reporter news items indicated that Selznick was planning to loan producer John um, John Houseman to United Artists for the production um, that um, the book option was later picked up by United Artists for $25,000, um, which is about 
four hundred thousand dollars in twenty eighteen money. Not bad. Um, and that yeah. just, and that Joseph Cotton was considered for the lead role originally. But that's where it all shook out. Nice. Was where. So I guess Lee didn't end up um, working out for the lead role of that. But then they ended up uh, yeah having uh, Barbara Stanwyck stand go in for that. But also as we talked about when we did our. Christmas in Connecticut episode, which I think was our first Barbara Stanwyck movie that we mm-hmm. had talked about. She was an independent actress. She was yes. not contracted to any f- studio. So she was able to pick any movie that she wanted to do pretty much. And she had autonomy to do that, which I thought was really mm-hmm. cool. And um, I was reading some articles on like TCM and some other places where they had said it's a strange, it was a strange decision to choose this movie because this came off the heels of one of her Oscar wins for best actress and um, I guess her and the and she had worked with the director before William Wellman and they just decided well, yeah he's be, I was gonna say he's done some cool shit you know yeah. like he's he's a formidable director I would mm-hmm. say <laughs> and I they're just I guess those articles that I was reading were just they were guessing at the fact that maybe they just wanted to do a fun movie together and just they didn't yeah really worry they weren't worried about it being like some sort of you know amazing tome you know (laughs) well and and i wonder about that too because it i mean you can sometimes you can't really tell but i'm like um i didn't really read anything about people not having fun on the set and it looks like people are kind of having fun like really hamming it up there with their characters and stuff so maybe this was one of those movies where they were like like an adam sandler movie we're like we're we're just gonna have fun to get paid you know that's that's what it (laughs) seemed like to me for sure um yeah what was I gonna? Because she's funny. She's she's really she got. I is. mean, there's definitely parts where I feel like I'm watching like a living cartoon from that from that time for like a mm-hmm. Warner Brothers like woo woo kind of cartoon. Exactly <laughs> so. between um bet- between the comics like Michael O'Shea and Pinky Lee mm-hmm. and um uh and then you also have um Mary and Martin just chew- like being like character like being full on cartoon yes. characters. It was pretty pretty funny at time. there was some pretty funny times and then there was some there was some tough times in this movie too which i feel uh, like we yeah. need to yeah we need to address because um this does have a pretty rough scene of domestic violence mm-hmm. <laughs> which i remember watching the for when i watched it the first time i was just like oh my god holy shit like it was yeah. so rough to watch that yeah and, that's probably the roughest in to listen to as well because the girl who does it is giving her everything so it's, so they don't actually yeah. show mo- they don't show most of it they show the initial strike and which is not unusual for movies of this era, but also what was kind of harder to watch too is, is that nobody bothered to step in and there was like a lot of people watching this happen and it kind of, it kind of shows the attitudes of the time too. You're talking about 43 and people just did not view domestic assault like that as being, that big that big of a deal you know and it was just well like, yeah that know, and, was, and racism exactly. so you know yeah there were definitely some parts where you're just like oh fuck yeah okay. but you, you know, know what it's honestly i think it stands as being like we need to remember that this was how it was and this is like we need to not forget we can't just sanitize it completely and say that this is right never well happened. and obviously gypsy wrote even wrote those bits in for a reason Mm -hmm. you know i think that like there there is like people have to realize it's like 
you know, these are still people who are trying to, you know, show business. But this is like the blue collar end of show business, yeah. you know, yeah. Toledo, Columbus, like they were talking, <laughs> of, they're not talking Hollywood people. And exactly. these are, you know, and it's also like, you're thinking about like, I'm looking at all these women who are like, yeah, so you guys all literally were children in the depression, mm -hmm. you know, like, and you're all trying to just probably, you know, make it work. And even like, uh, first of all, the music was awesome in this movie, like oh, really, really good. really good. But the, uh, the, uh, play it on the G string, you know, I mean, all uh, the lyrics and there were literally like, I have to dance four days, <laughs> four times a day to, yeah. cause I got a mom at home to support like Jesus Christ, yeah. you know, but, but, I, but that, that's real, you yeah. know, so. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, too, because you, um, what you were saying about the Hayes Code was that they, they had so much, like, they had so much control over what was being shown and what was being included yeah. in the movie. And that that was like, okay, let's just have a, a scene where a woman gets brutalized by her boyfriend. Like, that didn't seem to strike a chord with the. That wasn't a, pro a problem well, for the Hayes guy. Uh, well, it's, it's context, <laughs> Philip. Remember, it's context. Because it, as, long as, as long as they were showing that the person who did the hitting got punished, which did happen. Right. So it's That's like, true. you know, so... That's that's kind of how it and in the end, of course, yes. yes. Um, but so, also, too, so they did show that. But but remember, they couldn't even talk about the like they're literally talking about a toilet throughout the entire movie, and they can't say toilet like right. the plumbing. The plumbing, <laughs> yes. And I thought it was funny too, is because they um, the because I was actually talking to a friend this morning. Um, I had um, some coffee with him, and I was telling him about this movie and how you know um, he kind of even he was just like I was telling him the premise, loose premise about it, and he was like. Wait, Wait, what? And I was like, Yeah, I know. How did this get through the censors? And um, and we, I was saying, Yeah, but they never really even did. They never even defined what a g-string was. So no. I think that that's why it was able to get through the censors. And also, too, if you notice, when they sh when she pulls she pulls the g-string at the end when Stanwyck is um when they attempted to uh, strangle her, she pulls it off and it's not a G-string. It's not... What no. I, I even Googled it and made sure that like G-string wasn't considered something different back then. It's been always considered like straight up a thong, like a you know dancer's kind of thing. And it's always been considered that. So the fact that like it was just a kind of like almost like a shimmy belt is what they showed. It was like... Yeah. That was interesting that they... And they never actually... Because when he was trying to tell when... Uh, Biff was telling um, Pinky Lee like what a G-string was. He was just like, you know, it just goes around there and it, you know, and it's got stuff on it. And then, then they just kind of like, and he's like, then uh, the guy's like, whoa, <laughs> they just never, they never actually tell you what they're talking about, which would have been just too risque to say that, you know, a, you know, yeah. a woman was strangled with panties. <laughs> I know, right? So <laughs> Meanwhile, like when he's when he's pulling that, like you don't even know what he has in his hands. Like when he's he never once like ever like because you know somebody like plants the g string in his pocket and he goes to pull it out and at at some point he looks like he's holding a a fully a, a, a fringe dancer's brief. I don't know. Something, like it's like it's a something. large object full of beaded fringe and so. Yes. Uh, yeah, like to you, you're, you know, that too. It's like, okay, is it just like an elaborate belt maybe with like a little floss in the middle? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't I can, know. I guess I, that's the thing. 
The G-string is the MacGuffin. (laughs) It just moves the story forward. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, And you'll also, I know I was reading about the the censors on this too, and you'll notice that um, there's a lot of like audience reaction too. They never actually show anybody taking any clothes off or actually even grinding or bumping and like doing any salacious No, they'll show a shimmy. They'll show her shaking her boobies, but you can't, nothing below, not even below the belly button. Dude, not even, nothing below the rib cage. We didn't see it. that happening but you see a lot of hooting and hollering from the audience like they cut to the audience pretty pretty often so um yeah yeah and there's a couple of shots where you can pretty much like she's essentially wearing a see-through dress and there's a couple of times where she's backlit where i'm like there's her whole body like there i don't know uh i can see all those butt cheeks like so i don't know what you honestly don't know how they got this through like it's honestly was pretty fast and loose yeah because those gowns that edith had and made for barbara stanwick were pretty revealing (laughs) Um, i mean she looked amazing amazing and and everybody was just looks so good yes i feel like this is the world you want to live in philip where it's just a bunch of like really well-dressed very busy exasperated showgirls running around and like (laughs) i mean this like high energy but like beauty just like just extreme levels all the time (laughs) and i think that this is like this is clearly my this is my dream world where it's like where i was just like a movie about burlesque a movie about showgirls a dumb line of a do (laughs) it's just like and they're all kind of and showgirls and burlesque i mean don't mind if i do <laughs> um, but it was just like all the girls are like they all have their own characters they're all kind of mm-hmm. like you know they're not perfectly beautiful like Hollywood style showgirls and stuff they all kind of were yeah. like a little bit more kind of you know burlesque girls you know the, the they all had their gimmick yeah, exactly. they all had their kind of look you know which I loved and I don't know if that was even maybe like the director like the instruction was like here build a character like yeah. make her this thing you know because you're right like everybody was so individual and in, like their hairstyles and even when they're in matching costumes like you can tell they're all very individual girls oh, and exactly. um and beautiful each one of them were very beautiful oh, very funny so um just good actresses you know held their own I, I really love the gal, the blonde who she was in the kitty cat outfit who lisped. I thought she oh, was so that's, um, Marianne Martin, funny. But she the funny yes. one where she was hollering at both at the pop and at the um the little dude, the little comic. The little dude, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> just... I I she, her facial expressions <laughs> were like, like Mae West good. So she was good. so great. I loved her. What was it? His name was Officer Kelly. And she remember I yeah. think um doesn't Biff like say, Hey, wouldn't muscles want to be searching something or other? And she looks like she's like, you could search me, Mr. Ke- Officer Kelly. And I'm like, you horny bitch. I love it. I just love so it. She's good. so freaking cute. And um, yeah, and it's funny because it's like you look, I was watching her and the way she did that whole, I'm like, that's pre-Marilyn, pre-Jane mm-hmm. yeah. Mansfield, like pre all the like, quote unquote, like dumb blondes and, you know, and just that whole look and even pre like Lena Lamont, you know, and yeah. I thought she did such a good job, like just her whole God. like persona. I'm just like, I want to see more of this girl. Like, oh, I know. Well, I'll have I to look up Marion Martin. 
Cheers. and find out. <laughs> yes, can we get a spinoff of Alice Angel? Yeah, like what happens? Yeah, when exactly. Her, what happens when she marries the little dude? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because uh, and I and I love those. I love those like couples where it's it's like the the little the cute little dude with the hot chick and he just wants to cro- like <laughs> climb her like a tree. <laughs> exactly. <You know? laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> But yeah, I thought I this movie was really great and the looks were amazing. This uh, is also too like I'm right, I know. And yeah. and you know, I know it's like it, it sounds sacrilegious to, to ever say like, oh, something could be better in color. And I'm not saying that because I think the black and white did lend to the whole like the noirness and of being course, a mystery, yeah. but I was dying to see I what mean, that shit would look like in color. It's kinda like Marie Antoinette where you're just yes. like, Oh, I kinda get it but it would have been so nice it would have been nice it would have been nice it would have been nice it definitely yeah with the showgirls and oh my god and her furs work them furs yes oh my god God. the muffs the the muffs that got smaller was the oh my god yes ever we need to talk about this (laughs) oh my god Reason 1000 why I love burlesque. It's just like (laughs) the sexy funny. You're just like, how can I make? Because at first you're just like, oh my God, what a fabulous muff. She looks amazing. And then she goes through the paper heart and she's doing her thing. And then the muffs. And then right, I'm like, hold up. Does she have a smaller muff? And then it happens again. And you're like, what is going on? And then she's just down in this tiny, like clutch bag of a muff. And it's just so funny. And that's the only God thing she it. takes uh, off like, too, which is even. I funnier. know it's so good. Like, who does? The, I, oh, I I wonder if there's a girl who who does like hubba or something who does that gag because it's fucking hilarious. Maybe you know, fucking know. hilarious. God, um, yeah, there is. But um, did you? <laughs> this is the first movie we've ever done with uh, costume designer Natalie Vizart, actually, which I think that I. So I had to do some deep dives on to find out a little bit of information on her. Did you find? How did you find anything much about her? No, no. Okay, so here's the tea, as it were. So she <laughs> was BFFs. Well, not BFFs. She was. Um, she was FWBs with our friend. Um, Mitchell Lyson. You may remember him when we talked about the movie um, Taming of the Shrew because he worked on a lot of films back oh, then. Oh, right, right, right. Back the early ones. A lot. Yeah. yeah. And he worked a lot with Cecil B. DeMille too. And there, and so did she. So, because um, from this book that I um, that I was gifted from uh, Vincent Rosemary Keenan, woo woo, shout out to my booze. <laughs> um, that in the book uh, "Creating the Illusion: Colon, A Fashionable History of Hollywood Costume Designers," um, uh, there's that <laughs> the chapter on um, Lyson is actually grouped together with um, him and Vizart. So she was born in Chicago oh. in 1910, and she was. Uh, so in Chicago, so she was expected to follow her foot, uh, the footsteps of her father's medical career. But in 1920, she had respiratory health issues. So they sent her to California. Um, she met Catherine DeMille, the daughter of Cecil B., um, at, at wow. high school. So they ended, she ended up becoming a family friend of theirs. Um, and then she was spending uh, weekends and school vacations with them. So um, in... They apparent so her and Lyson ended up hooking up at some point, um, 
which, um, yeah. So this was, uh, she was like, let's see, I got some blah, blah, blah. Uh, that she would have been very young because she was born in 1910. So in these people live crazy intense lives. So she moved in, (laughs) she moved to New. So she moved to California when she was 10 years old. And then at 17, Mitchell Lyson ended up getting married to somebody else. And then although he would remain married for 15 years, their marriage was pretty much just like kind of on paper and they lived apart. And then, um, so then he basically boop, boop, bop, bop, bop. Um, wait, what was this I was saying? Okay. So basically Lyson ended up hooking up with, um, Vizard at this time. So she's like when she was 17 years old. So, Wow. Um, so she was, uh, according to this book, she was undoubtedly flattered to receive attention from a successful older man initially. Um, their connection was much more cerebral than physical, according to Vizard's daughter, Lauren Taylor, Laurel Taylor. Um, the two, quote, got each other, she said, and Lyson pr- proved helpful to Vizard's career as he began working as a director in 33, which, um, and then he positioned Vizard to take his place as DeMille's costume designer. So by 1936 wow. she was assigned to costume the movie the plainsman so she apparently i had done some other reading too she apparently was working with demille and like a lot of pre-production stuff too so she was uh-huh. kind of like doing costume sketches and like concepts for him like on movies before they were even started um Wow. So she apparently in 1934 she was working with DeMille on Cleopatra, the one with uh the one with uh why can't I remember Myrna Loy? Not Myrna Loy. Uh Claudette Colbert. Um, yeah. And so he, they were working together pre-production and um, while casting the part that I'm reading from the book, um, son of 100 best movies you've never seen. And I pulled this <laughs> quote. So while casting the part of Mark Anthony um, in Cecil B. DeMille's Cleopatra, producer Benjamin Glazer arranged for a strikingly handsome Henry Wilcoxon to audition. On the day of the tryout, the actor was taken into the office where DeMille was working with his costume designer, Natalie Vizart. The director looked at, the actor over before turning to Vizart and says, quote, well, Nat, what do you think of him? He asked. She said, my God, CB, what a head for a helmet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I have to, I had to include it. So I just, um, I wonder if that's something to do with like having a face for tele, a face for radio. I don't know. Um, yeah. Or maybe just had a big bucky ass head. I mean, she needed a big helmet on there. I don't know. But um, they apparently... It's a dick joke. Um, it's, a, it's a dick joke. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, so yeah, so the, she had a la- long-standing working relationship with Cecil B. DeMille, which is like pretty cool, but she's never been um, really credited as doing like m- many of his bigger movies. Because um, yeah. Travis Banton was co- um, no, co- uh, noted as the costume designer on Cleopatra, even though there's a lot of um, costume sketches that are attributed to her for them. And apparently Claudette Colbert and Travis Banton did not get along, which I'll have, we'll have to get into more when we eventually do that movie. Um, hmm, I wonder if she would, she was one of those, even just kind of how sounds like even how Cecil B. DeMille talks, or maybe she was kind of one of those like go between types, maybe. which we all know in our jobs, we kind of have to be sometimes you're like, yeah. all right. Cause these, you know, like, Sometimes you have to be the, you know, the operator or whatever, but, yeah. uh, 
I know wow. it's kind of crazy. Uh, so cool. let's see. So she ended up leaving Hollywood um, to work for um, uh, the Par- Parisian milliner Lily Dashay. Um, but um, right as which is interesting. But as her career with DeMille was taking off, um, but she ended up. Uh, coming back pretty quickly because the Nazis um, it started occupying yeah. Europe. So she came yeah. in. Um, so she came back to Los Angeles where she continued working with DeMille again. And she ended up working um, for him doing the Northwest mounted police in 1940. Um, and then let's see what else we got. Um, so then she ended up um, after costuming the movie after um, meet John Doe. Uh, DeMille introduced or induced Paramount to offer Vizart a contract, but she declined, um, telling DeMille that she was afraid of, um, that during downtime, quote, Edith would have me picking up pins off the workroom floor, end quotes. <laughs> she decided to sign, um, end yeah. up sign with producer Hunt Stromberg instead. So that's how it seems as though she ended up with this movie, So, which would have been in 43. Yeah. So kind of an interesting career, not a huge, not a huge, big, big name costume designer, but she had yeah. a pretty storied career. Not bad to work with Cecil B. DeMille. I mean, shit, I, we should well, all be so yeah. lucky. Yeah. I think it's, it just goes to show she's just one of those many people we found where you look at their filmography and you're like, holy shit, you were, mm-hmm. you were a heavy hitter living your quiet little life in Hollywood. Just exactly. like, you know, kind of like the films we've never heard of, but these are the people we've never heard of who made some, you know, they were, they were movers and shakers and some of the most iconic parts of history with yeah. film history. It's just incredible. Let's... And then like how interesting that she, she probably, it's like, had she not probably even known his daughter to begin with, it's not like Cecil B. DeMille just made friends with people right and left. So he probably right, yeah. really trusted her. And I mean, he's almost known like a daughterly, and, yeah. you know, I mean, she, they, they know each other since she was 10 years old. So, I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of cool. Like, like you're just like a family wow. friend of like the most prolific director of that era, you know? Yeah. Um, that's so crazy. I know, it's kind of nuts. Um, but what was I going to... Yeah, on, I think that is interesting too because I'm wondering... I feel like there's more to costume design. I think this is evidence to the fact that there was more to costume designers than just that single credit on the screen. Like, I feel like there's... Oh, 100%. It sounds like there's, like, there's just, like, not everything is going to be designed by one person. There's going to be a team of people, and you got to, like, you know, and there's just a... And there's definitely more, like, the artistic kind of costume designers versus, like, the straight-up, like, the political ones. Like, you have an Mm -hmm. Edith Head who is just, you know, she's a, she's a kingmaker. You know what I mean? She's, but she's a, she's a a mover and a shaker, but she's not really, it's not to say that she's not doing the work, but she is, she's doing the work that other people probably would find absolutely exhausting, which is like placating stars, making sure they're happy, like making sure the direct, like she had to work with so many weirdos, like at high, (laughs) like a high level. No, think of, and she, you kind of have to be a bit of a weirdo yourself, but like, when you're trying to basically like broker like costume like costume arrangements between people like Alfred Hitchcock and Kim Novak during Vertigo, you know, and like you're working with all these int- weird personalities and yeah. they're all kind of weird, you know. 
Well, everyone. It's just a lot of orchestration. Yeah, there's because you got to think about it. Like everyone is out to like everyone's looking out for number one. So Alfred's exactly. gonna be looking out for the best for his film. Yeah, you know, you know, and anybody like the star's not gonna want to look crazy. The director's gonna want it to exactly. be his vision, and they're and everyone's gonna be negotiating everything. And it's just, yeah. it's gonna take a lot to get it done. You know, you can't just like. Yep. And of course, it's just like everyone's got something to say. Like everyone's a producer. Yep. You know, it's like ridiculous. Yeah. So. And one thing I've you know even learned through my own personal experience is that when you are a costume designer, costumer, stylist, like you, a big part of your job is part therapist because yeah. you end up seeing and hearing a lot of shit that yeah. you really did not ask for, but you kind of have to, okay, all right. Yeah, like yeah. there's a lot of your job that it ends up being like listening, sometimes placating, mm. but also just really like negotiating and make, you know, making sure people it's, there's a bedside manner, I guess yeah. you could say, to to what you have to do um, in order to get things done. And I, as we've we've even heard about this with like the sort of the triangulating that sometimes directors will do between them and then the actor, and then the costumer is tossed is tasked with telling the actor what they can and cannot do, and then the and then they make them go back to the director. It's a whole th- it's like ping pong, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, she played that game. She she was. You know, and she could have it because, you know, I'm sure there were probably people who are like, you know what, I'll just sit back here sketching those costumes for you. I do not want to be in yeah. that meeting room right yeah. now. You know? I wonder if that's what so. um, I wonder if that's what Natalie and Fizart was doing, because she was I know. Yeah, that there's I've seen a lot where she was doing costume illustration for people. So I or yeah. for the designers, so I think she did a lot for Travis Banton when he was working with um, um, CBD, as it were. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. It kind of fascinating and it's almost I wish that I was I wish that I could have more of an insight into that you know like a full yeah kind of, you know a picture of what that actually looks like because it's, yeah it's fascinating and, yeah well yeah and then like you know and as we've seen with the different costume designers like some thrive in it like you know that political sort of masterminding that like Edith Head thrived in for Mm -hmm. decades and then you have other people who die of alcoholism because they can't handle it like at the end of the day they're they're incredibly talented and they are you know they're just not like they don't get lifeblood from drama you know what I mean so it it actually hurts (laughs) them so you know like not everybody everybody thrives on different things and I think we we've we see that and we've we've talked about that with like just the different people and the different things that they produce and the ideas they have and you know, some people are idea makers, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can see it through. Right. And some people can see shit through, but they didn't come up with the idea. So yeah. <laughs> like, like an Edith head, I think is such perfect example of that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, but, oh man, like this was good. I, the, the costumes and everything in this movie were really, um, and the music was really top notch. Like I was humming that G string song, like for a couple know, days. Yeah, it's <laughs> a pretty good <laughs> one. That's a, that's kind of a banger. So. <laughs> <laughs> that song slaps, baby. <laughs> it kind of does. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, I was watching this movie. It's funny. Cause you know, that movie hustlers just sort of fairly recently came out, you know, and I'm just oh, like, yeah. huh. <laughs> like uh i understand it's sort of slightly different but uh but you know just that still that sale kind of like uh interesting um right. <laughs> but but uh 
but I think if I was also thinking like if you were to remake this movie today, like how would you like would you set it in a modern time? Would you do it back then and then just but not with the Hayes Code stupidness? Like right. because if you were to do it and like set it back in the forties, like wartime forties like Cleveland because that's what I think I think that's where it's supposed to take place like it, you get the idea it's like somewhere in the Midwest maybe Chicago I mean I wasn't it really says sure. Broadway so it, it makes the, oh, it, it, alludes, it alludes to it being in New York okay. which I think because they make references to like Dayton to, and Toledo, Toledo and Columbus yeah, so, so I'm just like definitely, are you in Ohio? <laughs> yeah I think because um, there was a scene that apparently was cut out from the beginning which had um, Dixie and Gigi in Columbus getting getting the oh, okay. news that they're going to go to CB Foss's theater in New York. But they oh, okay. never, okay. but then they do make a lot of references like his Toledo theater and like all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. So if, obviously I wasn't paying attention enough, but no, uh, it's yeah. a, so there's a lot like, of stuff oh, that's right. said in this movie that's done really quickly and kind of like, I, they don't beat you over the head with it. So it's like, you're just like, oh, yeah. okay. Like, I'm still not entirely clear on what exactly, you know, happened in order for, it was only until like the fourth viewing that I realized that like, you know, that, I don't know. It was just that, that the, like the, you know, the girl was the, the first girl, the Laverne chick was actually poisoned beforehand. So the, oh, before yeah, she yeah. was strangled. So there was two people that were involved and I was just like, wait, who poisoned her? And then I only until this last viewing, did I realize that the princess poisoned her? So I was like, Oh okay. yeah, cool. <laughs> like, thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> I'm sure if I read yeah. the book, I'd be more up on that, but yeah. I feel like if yeah, if they were to remake it almost like they do like Miss Fisher's murder mysteries, oh like that would be yes. so dope. That'd be and then you'd rad. actually be able to like first of all bring in that toilet joke because <laughs> that the fact that they were talking to each other through like the empty like where the toilet should have been was fucking hilarious. And then so like that needs to be in there. And then also I think it'd be really really great if the guy that um remember like the Chinese restaurant, the uh -huh. guy that ran the Chinese restaurant. Yeah. I think it'd be really, really funny if he was actually like um, pretty smoking hot and had a little <laughs> bit more like of a char like character likeness in it. And I, I think that. it'd be really funny if there was like, like maybe if, if like when she goes over to talk to him, she ends up like making out with him. I think that would be really cute. She's like, look, 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 look. <laughs> let's just keep this cool. Let's just keep this cool. We cool, right? We cool. And they like, you know, they'll make it out and she goes back and they're like, oh, and she's like, hey, you know what? You know, you know, everything's fine now. <laughs> so. <laughs> wow. Someone's writing erotic yeah. fan fiction about this movie. <laughs> maybe. I'm just saying. You're like, I'm just, yeah. Oh, speaking of Miss Furter, Miss Fisher murder mysteries, you know, the movie's coming out soon. Oh my God. This I is great. Know, right. It's pre just premiered at the Palm Springs <gasps> film festival. So, Oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my I God. Know. That's too much going on. Yes. You're like, you know, what's better than a Miss Fisher murder mystery movie. Seeing it in Palm Springs. I know. <laughs> okay, then. I know. They're just like, they're, they know that all queens watch this show, so we're going to do, we're going to premiere it in Palm yeah. Springs. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. We decided to premiere it where our core demographic <laughs> exists. <laughs> Palm Springs, California. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, my God. Um, 
Did you want me to run through the storyline real fast on this film? Film. Yes, yes. Okay. This so, madcap storyline that we you know, <laughs> go for it, Philip. Okay, I'm gonna do <laughs> my best. Away. I'm kind of I'm just breezing over a lot of stuff because there's a lots of yes. like twists and turns in it. So I'm just gonna give you the the Keep broad it high level. So, <laughs> okay. Like uh, as we said, the film opens up on Broadway in New York City. Ever heard of it? Um, we are introduced <laughs> to a burlesque theater that used to be a premier opera house. Um, it's a packed house for a show, and we are introduced to an entire cast of characters, dancers, and comics. Uh, Dixie Daisy, played by Barbara Stanwyck, the new headliner of the show, has just arrived with her best friend forever, um, Gigi Graham, played by Iris Adrian. Um, Biff Brannigan, played by Michael O'Shea, is a comic who's falling in love with Dixie. Um, his stage partner, Mandy, played by Pinky Lee, is hollering at Alice Angel, played by Marianne Martin. She's an adorably dense dancer, and we can't get enough of her. Uh, yes. Lolita Laverne, played by Victoria Faust, the, is the operatic burlesque performer who's not very popular with the other ladies. Um, she has an abusive boyfriend named Louie, played by Gerald Moore. Um, there's also a few characters who work at the theater. S.B. Foss, played by J. Edward Bromberg, who owns the theater. And Stachy, played by Frank Conroy, um, who's been working at the theater since it was an opera house. And The Hermit, played by Lou Kelly, who's a creepy stagehand who lingers around backstage. Okay. <laughs> So one evening during a performance, the Popo shows up and raid the joint for disobeying morals laws, and they round up all the performers. As it turns out, the theater has a system to warn the backstage crew um, about five O's, um, but someone disabled it. During the brouhaha, Dixie is trying to make an escape when she is strangled by some unseen person. A cop finds her in time before they can finish the job. So SB springs the cast from the clink and has everyone over for dinner and drinks um, like one big happy family. Uh, he also issues everyone a share of stock in the theater. Dixie brings up her attack, um, the attack on her, but everyone brushes it off. Um, Biff placates her and then takes her out for a beer. Um, Dixie has sworn off dating comics since they tend to leave her in a lurch and usually with less money than when they were first met. Um, the next night at the theater, the girls are getting ready to go on stage when the Princess Navina, played by Stephanie Bachelor, shows up. <laughs> Apparently, she's been, quote, in the hospital, um, but no one's buying it, especially Lolita, who seems <laughs> to know more about the princess than, letting, than everybody else does. So during that evening's performance, Louis catches Lolita hanging out with her wannabe playwright boyfriend, Russell Rogers, played by Frank Fenton. Um, he brutalizes her while Dixie, Biff, and Mandy are performing on stage. They have to strike up the band to cover up the screaming. <laughs> it was very it uncomfortable. Literally the hardest part to get through. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Um, after the number, Dixie heads back to the dressing room, which is empty due to all the girls lining up for the finale. The stage manager can't find Lolita and looks for her in the bathroom of the dressing room. He does end up finding her, but she's been murdered by her own G-string. Um... <laughs> Yikes. Um, the cops are called dun, and everyone. Dun, dun. I know. Dun, dun. Sorry. Dun, dun, dun. Skid marks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, co- <laughs> the 
The cops are called in and everyone's a suspect. After much interrogation, they accuse, they end up um, accusing Dixie. Um, it turns out that Lolita was poisoned and the strangling was done while she was half dead. So time goes by and the, cons- the investigation is con- still considered open. So since the princess has returned, she returns to her headline spot, which Dixie is sore about. She goes to SB Foss and um, puts in her notice. And then it re- she realizes that it's, basically that the princess is blackmailing him to get what she wants. Um, during their, her next performance with Biff, Dixie is about to get into a stage prop sarcophagus when she finds the dead body of the princess, La Gasp! Um, <laughs> in the commotion, the police are called and find Louis in the basement. He hotfoots it up the stairs and into the rafters. Not wanting to be caught, he jumps to his death. Um, the interrogation begins again. It's revealed that Rogers, the playwright overheard the princess poison Lolita. Um, it turns out that Lolita knew about the princess's blackmail scheme and she needed to get um, her out of the way, but Rogers didn't kill Lolita, but who did? Um, <laughs> wait. So basically that was the thing that was confusing. I was like, wait, so somebody, so the princess, um, poisoned her and then someone came in and did finish off the job by, yes so yeah. two people killed her at the same time pretty much so double doo-doo yes yeah. double doo-doo, exactly <laughs> so that night when the girls are leaving from the dressing room dixie um is up there all alone so that old dude stachi bursts out from behind the curtain uh she he attempts to strangle dixie when biff and the cops burst in to catch him turns out Stachi was Lolita's grandfather and couldn't handle her debasing him herself. Uh, the princess had walked in on him, so she had to be killed as well. Biff and Dixie run off, and he proposes to her. She accepts, and they go to um, and they go to Dunk Donuts at a wedding breakfast. Huzzah! The end. So, the end. The end. It ends in a wedding, <laughs> which is ever so much yes. fun. Um, I just, that Stachi dude is really funny because I love that in, when they're first interrogating them, um, he's like, the burlesque reformers don't get along with me. I guess they don't like my pipe. <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I thought of you, actually, when I, when I heard that. I'm glad you brought that out. <laughs> I think he was wearing old man makeup, too, which I was just like, he's yes, the most he was. unbelievable Yes, he character. was. And I'm like, oh, I can see Philip making fun of that with the mustache. <laughs> they don't like my pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Good God! Uh, just a little friendly mustache humor among mustachioed men. That's it. <laughs> um, so, Kathleen, what are your? Do you have favorite looks from this film? We need to start talking about like what what to pay attention to for the kids at home. Let's see. Well, um, I guess I'll just start with. Um, can we talk about the adorable matching outfits that all the tap dancers wear in the beginning? Because oh my god, that's really yes. cute. The tap and dancing at like, the first is really good. That first opening I number was it. so good, and everyone they like. They, they like yeah, I was no, I was gonna say because they start off almost doing like the Charleston, they then go into like yeah. the truck, and like their all their dance moves are really I don't know, they're really cute, and then they end with their butts out. And <laughs> oh my god! Really but I also cute. love that like the first like the main center front girls are like one's like kind of hamming it up, and the other one's like giving her a dirty yes. look, and then she hands it out too, and I'm just like, oh my god, it's so cute. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I loved how they were kind of like individually dancing, but like, and they looked like they were genuinely having a good time. Exactly. Like yeah. that's the thing is they weren't 
struggling. Like they were like, we're tap dancing, yeah. which is exactly what tap dancing feels like. FYI. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but then, and then I love how like, cause then it starts off with them and then it goes into the amazing, like the women who are just like, um, almost like they're on a runway and right, they all the look like, girls, like Valentine like, Barbies. Yes. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. That, those hats were amazing with the big giant heart, like lattice work hearts. Loved oh, it. Oh my God. Yeah. And like the one girl who comes out and she's like shaking her shit and like all the guys are hooting hollering and then the other girl like his spanks her in the butt. That yeah. was really fun too. <laughs> you know, like everybody's kind of like, they're all trying to like outshine each other, trying to get their sugar daddy in the crowd know, or whatever. Right? <laughs> so, um, they all, yeah, I love really that they cute. even showed the like this, the like nerdy little dude being like, hi. <laughs> it was so good. Yes. I loved it. It was really, really cute. Um, but those were kind of like, so that was, I really loved just like that whole number was really cute. And then of course it ends with like, you know, it, it culminates with like Dixie coming out from like with the paper heart and, um, and like, um, she's, and then she's got like, and then of course the, uh, the, the Russian nesting doll muffs that progressively get tinier, which is hilarious with the butterflies um, <laughs> all over her gown and stuff like she had yes yeah and then on the, on, the and then like on the muffs as well yeah. yes it was so cool um and then i also really loved her outfit that she wears when she's doing like the, the comedy bit and she's got like the oh. muff that's basically just like an explosion of like boa feathers of the matching hat and she comes out walking like a little cartoon and so then they good. do their whole little like bit and everything it's really really fun like that genuinely made me laugh and um <laughs> but and it made me realize like barbara strand she do it all like she was funny she was sexy she was a good dancer too very good dancer doing like that the russian kicks and everything like really low i was just like damn i was impressed um and then i guess and just as like i guess i'll do like okay well two more um the um so the kitty outfits oh my god those were adorable and you only kind of see them in the melee but like there's so many outfits that you're just like what number was this for but when they when they kind of get like raided and there's the big fight and you see the one um the angel girl she's with her blonde hair and her lisp and that cat outfit I'm just like, I need a movie about this person right now. Like, what is what is this person's life? But those were so cute. And then, um, and then the final, like, I love that the outfit that Barbara Stanwyck was wearing at the very end, where it's all like strips, or she had like oh, yeah. the robe that had the strips, and then she had those strips in her hair that were uh-huh. kind of like almost like a like a like a hood, but they were just all like strips and stuff. And it just was so. It, I loved how it it highlighted so perfectly that like 1940s, like long hair silhouette that yeah. she has. Cause she's got that, like she's got the long 1940s hair with like the V shape kind of cut, um, in the back. And, um, and w- with the big, like her big bangs, those like signature Barbara Stanwyck bangs. And I just, yeah. I love, that's like one of my favorite, favorite hairstyles ever is that like long 1940s look with the sort of like the big bangs, like the big, almost like Betty Grable bangs, mm-hmm, but then yeah. with the long hair in the back. I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't want to call it like a long poodle, but you know what I mean? It is, like, but it's, it's like, it's so clearly pretty. sat though. It's like almost like kind it's of set. small victory rolls on the sides. Like, and it's, it's yeah. Really and then you've got it cascading down the yeah. back and it's just lovely. It like, I've seen like anytime I see it on anybody, it just, it's so pretty. Yeah. It's just like, so flattering. And I love that I think she's it like, like frames your face. I love you know? that she's like, kind of like beautiful, but also like she, you can, with the way she, with her acting and stuff, she's just kind of like kind of hard worn where she just like, doesn't take oh, no I guff off it. nobody. Like she's like, I love it. I love that intro when she gets on stage. She kind of like licks her teeth and she's like, "Yeah, could you play me something else?" And like, she's yeah. so good. 
Um, oh, so I love good. her. Well, oh. and I was thinking like our first Stanwick movie, was it, was that Christmas in Connecticut? Believe, or was it, yes, Christmas was it the women? Cause she was in the women too. And I no, think, did we do the not, women first? That wasn't Barbara Stanwyck. That's um, Paulette Goddard. I'm getting them confused yes. again. Thank Two you. Two okay. body brassy ladies, but Stanwyck. Yeah, we've. I think we've only done. They kind of look like sisters. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So if we've done another one, I apologize, but I know that we've done Christmas in Connecticut. Which no, is no, no, so that's, good. That's it. Okay. Which she it's also so has like a little bit of a no nonsense kind of thing in that, even though she's perplexed and befuddled. But still, I want to watch that movie again. It's a good one. That's good. It holds up. Um, yeah. let's see. So there's some other ones that oh, we have. So to your count. looks. Well, I just think I want to point out that there's some really great looks. So, um, Marianne Martin, um, our, our, you know, the MVP of this movie ends up wearing this sort of like baby doll outfit at the end of the movie with the big giant bonnet. Oh like my a God. Huge spoonbill hot bonnet, which she yes. looks like a crazy crazed baby. It's so good. Yes. <laughs> it's so, a it's crazy, amazing. weird, sexy baby. <laughs> it's crazy, sexy baby. <laughs> but when she starts, when she comes down the stairs and she like kind of fans the little cape thing, I'm like, oh stop God. it. Just, I know. Again, we're just like, Where's your story? What's I know up with this that's gal? really good. Like I just like, what was she gonna wear that for? Like I need to see the number. Um, there's also so many good like kind of just like backstage ones where I think like either Gigi or the other girl who hated Laverne, the one that got in the fight with Laverne, um, mm-hmm. was wearing like a sombrero, like a tiny like straw sombrero like on the front of her head, yes. and she had like this big kind of like pannier kind of thing with fringe, and she just like walked out with a guitar, and I was like, what was that number? Like what, what was she? <laughs> you know, see, Philip, um, like I swear, this is your world. It's just I all know because I'm just like well, I want to see all these numbers. Dressed head to toe, women backstage doing things. You're so like, good. what? Oh, <laughs> what is this world? <laughs> oh God, There's... you're all so busy. What's <laughs> going on? <laughs> exactly. I'm busy. <laughs> I am busy. Um, I am busy. Um, yeah, there's some really great. So just pay attention to all of the background because there's so much yes. good stuff going on in the background that you might even let, um, miss. And I honestly, it's kind of a bummer that it got interrupted for because of the princess's murder. But you're saying that like that stripped the stripped outfit with like the black strips where they were gonna do the yes. number, where they were gonna do like the comedy yes. routine where it was in like ancient Egypt or something. I I'm like, oh, I really wanted to see where that was going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where I'm just like, why we didn't get to see where that was gonna go. What was gonna happen? Yeah, they were clearly they were clearly forming some good acts. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's also a really good um, thing. There's um, so Iris Adrian, who plays Gigi, has this uh, during the dinner scene, has this amazing hat that's literally just like a bow that kind of goes in like a strip and like yeah. it looks like a giant Christmas bow <laughs> on her head. And it's got like they just kind of like threw a veil over it. It's the hats are so good in this movie. Like it's nuts. So like, good. Just so crazy. Well, it's, and it's the 1940s where it was like right in the middle of World War II. This would have been like World War II time. So I know that like, well, just a little fun fact, like that was when like everything was rationed and regulated and even like making clothes, you were only able to, I think even in mass production, use like two, I think it was like two and a half yards on a suit. And so everything had been rationed, even like, you know, when you were making clothes, but the one thing that wasn't were hats. So you would see a lot of, that's why you see a lot of people in these very like 
I don't want to say plain suits because they're always like fiercely tailored suits that don't have a, you know, and, and they may have some like self trim, but then you've got these out of control bananas hats with these amazing hairdos and stuff to just balance it out, which I, again, just, I love the forties aesthetic. It is so good. So good. Lots of shit to not like about the forties. Lots of things to like. Yes. So, um, there's also, I loved, um, Barbara Stanwyck's, um, her tights that she was wearing during the courtroom number that they oh were doing. Oh my God, yes! Where it had like on one leg was just like a couple of like placed appliques or something and her legs mm-hmm. look stunning. She's got that beautiful uh, like yeah. fine lace And I was thinking like, like somebody girl. had to probably stitch those by hand because like I, I was just like, whoa, 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 wait, like back up, back up. I they didn't know. have those back then. So no, I was like, I don't where the fuck did you so. get? They went all they went all the way up too. Yeah. Like they weren't like stockings. Like they, I was just like, what? Wait, they what? were Either they were knitted that way or they yeah. were appliqued. But I'm just like, either that, either way, it's they were Stunning. We'll take it. Like, and I just yeah. love that. I'm like, we need to bring those back because that looks fabulous to have one leg like yeah. that and be like, yes, queen. And she's got like the full slit, and it's just like all the way up to her cooch. So and good. She's just giving yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. That actually is pretty cool. Like, if you had like, what a great balance because if you've got like a long dress that slit all the way up on one side, so you're basically showing your whole bare leg. Yeah. Why not have that bare leg in a beautifully appliqued hosiery? Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of badass and cool. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, looks looks. (laughs) just saying saying. and then the last one that she we have to talk about is the one that she ends the film in because she's wearing like leopard print this amazing leopard print traveling suit with that hat thank you and her best friend has also like an amazing suit as well which I actually think she wears the same suit it's the same suit she's just wearing a different hat in the so the dinner scene and then the ending scene she's wearing the same suit but um that she was before but the leopard print suit is so gorgeous and really glamorous and i'm like yes queen i want that suit it's been almost two hours and barbara strandwick has not been in any leopard oh there she is (laughs) wait for it there we go (laughs) Um, which i have to assume was real leopard yikes but still it Oh, there's nothing yeah. we can do about it now <laughs> no well different times yes so it's a real it was really amazing so there's some really really there's some this one is pretty good for looks so i mean if you oh for sure super you know, inspiring like even the leopard one like i mean you could make that in some really amazing faux fur today and totally like not even complete. like nowadays like it would just doesn't even make sense to use real fur when the faux fur is like right there and right nice there. but i know you like real fur <laughs> but it's so bad i know it's bad but real furs or fake furs made out of gasoline so we're really kind that's of that's true either way. um yeah that's true you know just a peek behind that curtain you're like um, how about no fur how about like, we just no like set it all on fire um <laughs> oh too late already done oh <laughs> uh, goodness oh is there anything else we have to talk about in this movie before we uh, before we head on out before we start um, our engines and make the best woman win. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I am so tired. I'm going to die. Oh, <laughs> it's I'm like, sorry. I'm like, I was so funny because I'm like, you were talking about something. I was like, wow, when we're finished with this, I think I'm going to go to bed. It's 620. <laughs> Uh, I, it's been that kind of day. Why do you think I started this episode with a cup of coffee? <laughs> Goodness gracious, people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. 
Um, let's see. I think I think that's it as far as um, oh well. One fun fact I learned about uh, Michael O'Shea because I I was like God, his, his name looks familiar, and I thought maybe he was in some big movie that I recognized, and I, it wasn't that. But one thing I did find was really interesting about him is that he so he. He retired kind of completely from acting and stuff in the 60s. He's somebody who kind of retired like in the in the 50s, but then he had another resurgency in TV oh, and he yeah. retired. Um, and he he actually passed away in the early 70s. But before he did, he actually he was like a he was a plain closed operative for the CIA. What? Shit. What? Yes. And he's from like some big Irish family where I think he had like four or five brothers. All of them were cops. Huh. All of them were cops except him, and I think his dad was too. So it was one of those like, wait, you're you're not going to be a police officer. So it's it's interesting. Like he and he always, I think he just sort of kind of got bitten by the acting bug. So he was huh. always doing. He had like a variety show and was kind of hustling and doing show like kind of live, almost almost kind of what he was doing in this in this movie. He was doing stuff huh. like that. Kind of reminded me of like like being like an MC for Hubba Hubba Review. Like he was doing shit huh. like that before he got this gig or in this movie. So uh, yeah, it was interesting reading about him. Hmm. Yeah, Weird. but that's uh, that was a that. that was interesting. I mean, I know some of these people go into politics. You know, we had Reagan and all, but <laughs> that was a that was a that was interesting. I was like, <laughs> oh. what, what? Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. <Yikes. laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, and then I guess on a non-movie related note, um, as of tomorrow when this episode comes out, this will be our two-year anniversary of having of adopted Jimmy. So Aww. Jimmy, the our, our cat, which is the official mascot of Old Hollywood Realness, Jimmy's. named after um, James Cagney, um, <laughs> he, uh, we adopted him um, January 6, 2018, Aww. and it's, it's, uh, it's been a lovely two years, and we love him very much. And his crinkly little ear gets better all the time. Oh, so, <laughs> little jammers. Yeah, Jim Jam. Little Jim Jam. <laughs> yeah, he's a good boy, baby. Number one, <laughs> good and boy, I love him very much. I'm <laughs> <laughs> <Boy. laughs> about that two seconds away from singing the Jimmy songs, so I'll leave it at that. We should probably sign off. <laughs> Yes. Goodness. Uh, Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you listening. Um, uh, yes, you can keep in touch you. with us over on sp- social media. Um, old Hollywood Realness on Facebook, OHR Podcast on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you can send us all your thoughts and prayers at oldhollywoodrealness at gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> you can join us over on our Facebook group, OHR Podcast Darlings, D-A-H-L-A-N-G-S. That's a fun little group. Everyone's talking to each other on that mm-hmm. one. People sharing stories. Um, also, leave us a five-star review, um, a rating and review over on iTunes. It really helps us out with visibility, and visibility is important. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Um, so <laughs> says the one out on social media. I'm like, I guess so. Whatever. It's, oh, no, it's not. It's okay. <laughs> as long as you have a social security number, you're fine. Um, oh, in the meantime, right. and in between time, thank you for listening to OHR. Test, test, beep, boop. Test, test, beep, boop. Boop, boop, beep, boop. <laughs>